Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, November the 6th, 2023. This morning, we're doing the full gamut of the American experience. On the one hand, we began uh, with a Chicago-based journalist. Ben Austin uh, has written a book, Correction, Parole, Prison, and the Possibility of Change. The book came out this week. It's already been reviewed in the New York Times and uh, the Washington Post. And it's a book that's very critical of the American justice system for the fact that it doesn't forgive and it doesn't allow people who happen to be incarcerated, especially when they're young, to reform themselves, to reinvent themselves. The opposite end of the American world, uh, the other uh, bookend is, of course, American universities, uh, institutions where young people, 18 and older, go to invent and reinvent themselves. Um, and we are talking universities today and reinvention with my guest, Ben uh, Wildavsky. He's uh, a visiting scholar at U University of Virginia, appropriately enough, since he's an expert on the university. He has a new book out, The Career Arts, Making the Most of College Credentials and Connections. Uh, ben, welcome. I don't expect you're much of an expert on, on, on the the, uh, the criminal justice system, but it does seem as if universities are the opposite end of the experience, where we we send people away for one reason or other to to um, to uh, to prisons to punish them, and they're not allowed to reinvent themselves. Whereas we send kids off at seventeen or eighteen to college uh, to invent and reinvent themselves. Is that fair? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be on the show, and uh, perhaps we'll come back to the incarceration system because there have been some interesting developments there about making it easier for prisoners to get higher education with Pell Grants. So perhaps we can come back to that. But to your main question, absolutely. I mean, you know, our higher education system, of course, has evolved, you know, considerably since the first U.S. university, Harvard, you know, back in the 1600s. But it really has come to be really uh, in its aspirational aspects, a really important part of the American dream, the idea that people want to get ahead, they want to build what economists call human capital, they want to learn things and do better than their parents, do better than their grandparents. And for all of its faults and its failings, higher education is often seen as uh, perhaps the best possible pathway to get there. I have two children, one who just graduated from NYU, another who's uh, still at... Um... Bryn Mawr College, just outside uh, Philadelphia. So I'm all too familiar with um, with the experience and challenges. Your book, uh, your new book, which is a Princeton uh, University uh, press book, is it designed for kids or their parents? The career arts. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great question. Of course, you know, I'd like to have it all. I'd like to have it be read by parents, by teachers, by guidance counselors. And of course, by students themselves, you know, I have, um, after first joking about doing TikToks about a year ago, I actually found, I, I did a piece of, about two months ago for the New York Times, and they actually asked if they could do a TikTok for the, for the article. And then my publisher, Princeton University Press, just did a TikTok. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm told, I'm just a middle-aged guy, but I'm told that's a place young people spend a lot of time and get quite a lot of advice. So I certainly would love to reach them as well. 
as a parent, as I suggested earlier, who had two kids at college, I know how enormously expensive it is. Um, your book is, I guess, in some ways, implicitly or otherwise designed to address that, the career arts, making the most of college credentials and connections. I mean, these college experiences, especially private ones, cost sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, so they can end up at about a quarter of a million dollar bill. Uh, are most people not really going into college, especially the kids? Are they not understanding what that is in terms of not just a financial investment, but an investment of time and energy? Well, I mean, as you know, in parents, you know, I've got three kids myself now all out of college, you know, thankfully um, in their 20s. But, you know, people make all sorts of jokes about, you know, college is wasted on the young. And if I could go back now. But, you know, I think this is to some extent this has always been true. I mean, people, you know, older people have always sort of, you know, on the one hand, wanted their kids to get ahead. And on the other hand, complained about all the ways in which they're not, you know, making the optimal use of the, the time and the considerable resources that it costs to get them there. I will say, it's just as a, as a reality check, we, we know, of course, that despite all the attention that the, you know, the ultra selective schools, the Ivy Leagues or the state flagships get in the media, that's not where most Americans go to university. You know, perhaps 30 or 35% or, or are going to community colleges, perhaps 90% of all undergraduates are going to relatively affordable public institutions, whether it's two-year or four-year uh, colleges. That's not to say the rising costs are not a big problem and the rising student debt are not a big problem, but I think we do need a bit of a reality check. Most people are not going to places that are costing them or their families, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 a year. That just does not reflect the reality. And then if you add in the fact that there's a lot of financial assistance available, I actually think a bigger concern in some ways is that people from lower income backgrounds tend to overestimate the cost of college. They tend to us underestimate the amount of financial aid that's available. And I think that's contributed to a real concerning downturn in the number of people going to college when we have lots and lots of evidence that going to college, particularly if you, of course, this is crucial, you complete university, that is going to be a very, very, it's not a guarantee, but it's going to be a very, very good chance of getting you onto the path to the middle class. We're speaking with Ben Wildowski, uh, the author of a very useful new book, a Princeton University book, uh, University Press book, The Career Arts. Uh, ben, you talked earlier about um, the, the reality that most people go to community colleges or state universities or colleges. Is your book universal in that sense? Are there different kind of career arts one should acquire if one's at a community college versus being at UVA or Princeton or Harvard? Well, the way I think about it is, I mean, the book is certainly intended to, 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 to really, I hope, to be helpful to a wide range of audiences, whether they are going to college, you know, at, a, at the, the, the place mo places most people go, which are relatively accessible, rel relatively affordable public institutions, but also if they're not going to college at all. You know, what I really emphasize is that we've sort of created, I think very unfortunately, a false sort of dichotomy between the idea that you can either go to a sort of, you know, ivory tower, you know, four-year university where you're going to, you know, read Plato around a seminar table or something, or you can go out and, you know, do something really practical, you know, go out and be an electrician or a plumber. And, and I think we sort of simultaneously romanticize some of the blue collar jobs, you know, which are very respected jobs, of course, 
but which have not historically, that's not been the part of the economy that's really booming. But at the same time, we sort of have suggested that you go off to university and you're going to be doing some kind of abstract subject. And what I really try to say in the book is this is a false choice. We have to think about the broad education that you need to get, which is absolutely crucial to navigate multiple job changes over a lifetime as we all are living longer. And yes, of course, you do need targeted skills, whether that's computer coding, whether that's nursing, whether that's you know, graphic design. But those tend to be skills that have a, a relatively short half-life. You know, something like a computer language may be quite different three, four, five years later. So it's really important that people develop this mixture of abilities so that they can navigate changing jobs and changing careers. And then, in fact, the third element I would say, and it's particularly people important for people who are not from uh, affluent backgrounds, have not grown up with a lot of advantages, the importance of networks, what, what's often called social capital, which is building and accessing the kinds of personal connections that realistically are extremely important to get you out into the job market to be successful. You know, it's almost as if you could say, whether it's traditional four-year degrees or two-year community college, you know, associate degrees or some other kind of credential, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient because you have to take that education and that training and you have to find out about what jobs are available. And you also have to have people who know you, who've seen you, your work ethic, your abilities, and who can vouch for you. And all of those sort of social networks are incredibly important in how people realistically get into jobs and get ahead in the job market over a long lifetime. Uh, you recently gave an interesting speech about why we need uh, what you called uh, college rankings. It's a controversial subject. Um, but colleges do different things well. I taught at Northeastern when I, many years ago, and I just had Chris Bosso, who was on the show. I knew him many years ago as well, still at Northeastern. And their cooperative program at Northeastern has actually made it a nationally ranked university. When I taught there back in the 90s, it wasn't nationally ranked. Should kids deciding on going to college, what, what kind of criteria should they be using, especially when it comes to things like the, the cooperative um, uh, platforms which allow them to get work while they're in college? I'm a big fan of that model. I mean, look, you're quite right. You've obviously seen it up close and personal. Northeastern has really sort of become a very hot school, you know, and I, I have friends who've sent their kids there. The whole notion of this, there's different terms for it. Sometimes they call it experiential learning or simply learning and earning, um, combining what you do in the classroom with getting a sense of how that plays out in a real job situation is incredibly valuable. And of course, you can go to a, a Northeastern or there's places like, I, I think Temple University does, does this well. There are places where that's built in, but I think there are many other universities that are simply increasingly realizing that one of the reasons why it's really good to have various kinds of internships, part-time jobs that help students sort of see how what happens in the classroom connects to the sorts of tasks they might be asked to do and how, you know, becoming really good at gathering, understanding, synthesizing a wide range of information, what you might think of as the sort of classic liberal arts kinds of skills that can actually really hold you in good stead when you're out in the job market and you're having to read, understand, present to other people, persuade other people. And this is one of the reasons why, again, I think it's really important to think of these, the skill sets in terms of both the general and the specific and real work experience or the kind of thing that's built in through the co-op experience at a place like Northeastern is a great way to get there. 
We're speaking with Ben Wildavsky, the author of The Career Arts. Um, if you really want to get in college, you probably need to read Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. That will teach you in some ways a lot more than what you might learn at a traditional university. I'm going to, they've supported the show. I'm going to run a short ad for Liberties. Then I want to come back with, uh, uh, I want to come back uh, and talk a little bit more about what we should and shouldn't be doing in universities to invent and reinvent ourselves. So don't go away, anyone. News, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. Uh, we are speaking with Ben Wildavsky, the author of The Career Arts. Ben, you talked before the break about um, networking and the value of networking. Uh, we, we, we talked before we went live about me growing up in Golders Green in North London. And uh, my mother, as so many mothers in Golders Green would remind their kids, it's not what you know, it's who you knew. She would always tell me that about everything. And of course, I ignored her, which is why I've turned out such a failure. But in all seriousness, Ben, most kids don't want to do this. When you tell kids to network, when you tell them to go in and see their professors, when you tell them uh, that when they come out of college, the most valuable thing will be that network, they look at you as if you're insane. How do you get that message through without annoying 18-year-olds? Well, if, you're, if, you're, if your immediate goal is not to annoy 18-year-olds, you know, good luck. Because if you're, if you're an older person, whether you're a parent or an advisor of some kind, you know, you're, gonna have a, you're gonna have trouble getting taken seriously, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And I mean, one thing, I know there's a woman who with a, with a company called Handshake, which is a bit like a LinkedIn kind of service connecting you know, students and employers, mostly geared toward college students and recent graduates. Her name's Christine Cruz Vergara, and she says, you know, she really tells them that the same kinds of skills that you, you put into practice when you get to university or you get into some new situation and you're trying to make friends, perhaps you're joining activities, whether it's sports or going out for a drink or going to see a lecture, those kinds of skills, those network building skills are exactly what you need to get ahead in the job market as well. Um, I know another woman, um, I'm here and I'm talking to you from New York City today, um, who is uh, the head of um, Nolia Delgado is the head of the, the Kaplan Educational Foundation that gives scholarships to community college students to transfer to four-year institutions and gives them a lot of other kinds of support as well to, to become strong students, to become leaders. And she, she talks about, she's originally from the Dominican Republic, and she talks about the tradition of the, the cafecito, you know, which is just having a cup of coffee in your neighborhood with your family, with your friends, chatting about the issues of the day, chatting about advice, getting, finding out what's on, telling people what's on your mind and seeking their ideas. She basically says, you just need to take that same mentality and take that out into the job market. You know, you're right. It isn't something that the average 18 year old thinks of automatically perhaps, and they may feel that it's a bit too calculating. You know, I know uh, the, 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 uh, the Ann Kirshner, who's the, uh, the uh, president of Hunter College here in New York, she says that she's worked with many first-generation college students over the years, and they, they tend to think networking is cheating. But 
Of course it's not. It's just, it's the way of the world. And it's something that comes very, just by sort of a matter of inheritance by middle and upper middle class students. But, you know, it's, as you said, it's, it's, yes, it is that old thing your parents tell you, you know, it's not just what you know, it's who you know. It's true, but it's also true that there's a woman uh, who founded a nonprofit called Braven, Ame Eubanks Davis, that works with first generation university graduates to get into really good first jobs by explicitly working on their social capital. And she says, it's not just who you know, it's who knows you. Which right. means you have to put yourself in a position where people have, have gotten to know you, they've seen you, you, with luck you've done a good job, whether it's just showing up every day, showing up on time, doing what you're asked to do, you know, cheerfully, efficiently, all those basic, you know, abilities, in addition to the substantive content of what you're meant to be doing, those are crucial to the building the kinds of connections and networks that make people want to put in a word for you in the future. And that's what you're going to need. Ben, in 2023, in a post-COVID in America, in, a, in an American, we've done many shows on this where there may be an epidemic of anxiety. Is there a generational element to what you're arguing in that the, the latest generation of kids going to college are suffering from a sense of isolation, of social awkwardness, of nervousness, and that the message that you're putting forward in the book might have seemed a little bit more self-evident for previous generations and has been particularly lost on a generation so wrecked with isolation and anxiety? You know, honestly, I had not thought of framing it that way myself, but I think it's intuitively what you say is quite true. I mean, it's, you know, I just know from talking to people I, I, I know who work with, with students, you know, people who had, you know, this just miserable experience of going through COVID, you know, whether they were in high school or at university and having to go, you know, this kind of rush, rush to Zoom with, of course, a great, a great mixture of quality and, and satisfaction. But a lot of people did not get those part-time jobs, those opportunities to go out and about, and as, as awkward as it may be, just to learn how to make conversation with people, with your coworkers, um, figuring out some, some way to sort of present yourself and to be, um, you know, be, be understood and accepted in the work, in the workplace. So some of those young people now going out into a first job, not having had much track record, it's, it is more of a struggle for them. Maybe but they should turn their, uh, I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, Ben, but maybe they should turn their, their cell phones off, their smartphones and, and actually meet people face to face. <laughs> well, look, I, 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 would, I would like to think it doesn't have to be that dramatic. I think we can do some of each, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, technology and social media myself. But yeah, we need to do we need to do both. And you can't get buried, you know, not just on being on your phone, but it's being home, being home and, you know, alone, not being with other people. Those are those are acquired skills. And I think that they are extremely important. But the good news is, you know, I mentioned this organization, Braven, but there's many others. There's one called Co-op Careers um, that does very similar work on social capital. There's for students who aren't necessarily going to university. There's a place uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area called Climb Higher that works with people who feel a bit stuck in jobs like barista jobs, maybe, or things where they're, they're okay jobs, but they don't feel like they really see a career path. And they're doing things like giving them some Salesforce training or other kinds of very practical training, but they're also really working on their social capital, on their networks. And they're telling them, this is the kind of conversation you have to have. This is how you write your LinkedIn profile. This is how you go to an event and 
come in with maybe a question or two to ask the speaker so that they, they will see that you've been paying attention. There are a lot of things that are going on to really try and show people that this is not out of reach. Sometimes it's just building on the, 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 the sort of natural social skills that you know, people have to varying degrees, but it's understanding that you just need to focus on that as part of your efforts to be successful over the long term. Finally, Ben, I can't resist asking you this. I mean, the universities are at the moment uh, over the last few weeks been in the national spotlight because of all the debates about anti-Semitism and what one can and can't say. I know that you're very concerned with this, like many other career academics and people associated with the university. How does this tie in the, the sense of censorship within the university and a feeling of perhaps intellectual insecurity in, in the career arts? What advice would you give kids going to universities who are not only having to negotiate inventing and reinventing themselves and figuring out what they want to do, but making sure that they don't get canceled by one side or another? Yeah, look, I mean, that's a great question. It's, it is very much on my mind. You know, I was just speaking at Harvard last week, and of course there were, the good news is I suppose there were demonstrations, but they were civil, civilized demonstrations. I did not see anybody being abused. I did not see, and there's been some terrible uh, instances of anti, really overt anti-Semitism and, you know, bullying and just, just uh, stuff that is just very upsetting to see. But what I saw was reasonable demonstrations of the kind you'd absolutely expect on college campuses on both sides. What I think is, you know, I don't know that I can draw a direct connection to careers, but I do think that I was struck by a parent I spoke to over the weekend um, and who has a kid at, at Harvard. And what they said is that they, they actually have one kid at a state school that's done much better than, than Harvard mm -hmm. about this kind of stuff. And what they talked about was how grateful they were at this big state flagship. They had some debates. They had some kind of, there's a role for university leadership. Sometimes it's for making, coming out and being out, being, I think it's appropriate. If you're going to talk about the environment, if you're going to talk about Black Lives Matter, if there is a, if there is a massacre, if, you know, 1,400 Jews, almost all civilians, I think it's reasonable to speak out about that as well. Um, but it's also true that if you can create respectful, civilized debates about some of the uh, some of the underlying issues to the extent there are political issues, of course, and global geopolitics involved, you can do that. That's what universities are there for. You don't want to, you know, it's not a matter of sort of shutting people down. It's like, yeah, if people are advocating for mass murder, I think it's appropriate for you to say this, this does not have a place here. But if you want to get people talking about geopolitics and you want to get them talking about the history and the politics of, of a very you know, difficult situation, by all means, that's what a university ought to be doing. And I think that's going to reassure people. And to get to your initial question, I think that students who have experience navigating, you know, maybe, maybe big differences of opinion, but with respectful discussion, with this whole free speech principle that more speech is generally better than less speech. I'm not talking about calling for, you know, calling for the annihilation of a people or a country. To me, that just doesn't get us anywhere. But I think if you can try and foster real conversations and real discussions, that's part of what a university should be about. And that will produce the kinds of graduates who can do better off in the workplace.